It's the only book in the Bible that is incomplete. Because the Holy Spirit is still writing it through the disciples. It's still being recorded. Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read to you the day today that we remember. And remember that when I read this to you, this is a record of an actual historic event. Okay? Now we've said enough about it for you to understand a little bit of the background. And then I'm going to launch off from there. And it says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Pente 50. So the day of Pentecost was 50 days after the ascension of Jesus, after his resurrection. And it says, and when the day of Pentecost, so it fell exactly on the feast of Pentecost, that very day. So when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they, all the disciples, there was 120 altogether, were all in one accord, in one place. We're all in one accord and in one place. And suddenly, everybody say suddenly, woo-woo. I love the suddenlies of God. You know, God comes suddenly after a lot of preparation. <laughs> There's always a lot in the background, and then suddenly God comes. Um, still powerful, still unexpected in many ways. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing, mighty wind. Everybody say rushing. Everybody say a mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I mean, there's a lot in that particular passage of Scripture. Because once again, we talk about divine and human cooperation. God always works together. He doesn't expect us to do it on His own, but neither will He do it all Himself. There's a lot that He did, but God's plan is divine human cooperation. So the Holy Spirit filled the disciples, but they began to do the speaking with the ability and the enabling and the help and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Is that okay? And so it was really powerful. And this day was marked by two things, a wind, number one, and fire, number two. It's the two manifestations that were on the Mount Sinai at the giving of the law. And that was because, and if we read it in Deuteronomy 32, 33, thereabouts, it was because the wind and the lightnings and the thunder and the fire was the presence of angels, the chariots of God descending on Mount Sinai. And here on the day of Pentecost, Mount Sinai, 3,000 people died when the law was given because it's the law that kills, the letter kills. But the Spirit gives life. And on this day, 3,000 people said, what should we do to be saved? And they got saved. And so the reason for the wind and the reason for the fire is because in Hebrews chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, this, quoting the, on Old Testament, a psalm, a passage from the Psalms, he said, he makes his servants flames and winds, flames of fire and winds. And his servants there in particular are angels. And he says, number one, they're winds, and number two, they're flames of fire. And so when the people of Israel were coming out of the land of Egypt and being taken to that promised land, there was a pillar of fire by day and a cloud by night. And it was a real picture of the Holy Spirit leading them, guiding them, protecting them, warming them, giving them provision. God was with them, leading them. And so there was fire on the mountain. There was fire as they were being led. Now, on the day of Pentecost, symbolizing the institution of a new people, symbolizing of the Spirit leading them now, the wind blows into that upper room, which means that his servants, the angels, came in as winds. Was it incredible that one of the things that he does is that when he opened the windows of heaven and poured out the Holy Spirit, he poured out all the resources of heaven. And so on that day, angels were assigned permanently to the apostles. Do you know that you've got angels accompanying you? Is that right? And it says, and then there appeared what seemed to be tongues of fire, cloven tongues of fire, and each one of them received that little burning flame. So what does it do? He makes his servants winds, number one, and two, flames of fire. Both manifestations showing that the angels came in. And so when they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues, they had angelic intervention, angelic assistance, angels ministering to them. 
And so Paul goes on in Hebrews chapter 1 and he says, Are not all angels? All angels. Everybody say all angels. You know, there's a lot of teachers that teach there's warring angels and worshiping angels and this. Look, all the angels can fight. All the angels worship. There's revelation angels and all this kind of thing. All angels can bring revelation. Is that okay? But all angels are ministering spirits seen to serve the heirs of salvation. So whether you feel them or not, see them or not, don't invent it, don't make it up. But one thing you can do is take it by faith that you have got angelic intervention, angelic assistance, angelic ministry with you all the time. And so this is an historical event. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, we're talking about the historical event. But it marked the beginning of the New Testament. It marked the beginning of the end of the old. It marked the end of the dispensation of the law of sin and death. It marked the end of an era where people had to try and serve God in their own efforts. Establish their own righteousness by adjusting their conduct to a code of law. And it was the beginning of the New Testament. So it was the end of law, it was the beginning of the Spirit, it was the end of the old, it was the beginning of the new, where God Himself would reside by His Spirit inside the heart of believers, empowering them and enabling them from within. It signaled the end of the old covenant, it signaled the beginning of the New Testament. And so one was law written on stone, and the other one is the law written on the hearts of flesh. The one was the Holy Spirit visiting every now and then, coming on a select few individuals, influencing maybe a little bit more remotely to where He comes and He's with you and inside of you, where He changes your whole life. And so there's a huge difference. But very often when we talk about the day of Pentecost and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if we talk about the fact that there was precedence to this, precedence, there was stuff that happened before the day of Pentecost. And maybe today we should look at a little bit of that. Because if I say the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, most of us will think of Joel chapter 2. Maybe verse 28. And afterwards, the afterwards is very important because of the verses that went before. I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. I will pour it out on your sons and your daughters, your servants, your maidservants. And that exactly fulfills the prophecy of Galatians chapter 3 when Paul wrote and he said, In Christ there is now neither male nor female. There is neither barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free. We are all one in Christ. And so when he says on maidservants, men servants, sons, daughters, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. They will see visions. They will dream dreams. They will prophesy. He was talking about a power coming to the people of God, making them one in the Spirit, but all anointed and all of them would look like Christ. One in Christ. And so what were the precedents? Look, there's much more, much, much more than Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2's prophecy stands out because it was close to the New Testament. It was the very passage that the Apostle Peter stood up and preached. But even there is symbolism. Even there we're seeing a parable being acted out. Even there, the great Apostle Peter who denied Jesus, who was hiding in the upper room with the others, you know, after his big mouth, he was hiding like a wimp, just like the rest of them. He was the one that said, okay, let's go back fishing, you know, because he didn't know what else to do. But on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit came upon him, he stood up bold. He stood up brave. He stood up a different person. And maybe we need to refer to that a little bit later. And here's Peter, very often not understanding what Jesus was saying. But he, by the Spirit, interprets the phenomena of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, when he stands and he speaks to the Jews. Once he was afraid, now he says, men of Israel, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has now made both Lord and Christ. So there was a boldness in him. There was a power in him that he didn't have before. Now, it just reminds me of another man by the name of Saul. And the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 10, and you can read that story from verse 1, that when the Spirit came on him and Samuel prophesied it, and he said, when these different criteria are fulfilled, and when you meet the prophets coming down from the high place, the Spirit of God is going to come on you, and you're going to prophesy like them. Saul had his own Pentecost. 
And Samuel said, when you turn and leave them, and all those words were fulfilled that very day, when you turn and leave them, God will change your heart, and God will change you into another man. And so when the Spirit comes on you, He changes your heart, and He changes you into another man, female man, or man-man. Okay? He changes you into another man. He makes you a new man in Christ. But listen, you still have your same personality. But you take on the character traits of Christ. You are formed in His likeness and His image. And so the day of Pentecost, and I'm particularly, for a reason, skirting around and avoiding the speaking in tongues. We'll come to that a little bit later. Because the day of Pentecost has been reduced to speaking in other tongues. And I'm not demeaning it. I'm not diminishing it. I'm not making light of it. Because it's an exceptionally powerful gift. It's the evidence that you have received the Spirit. There's different levels of relationship. But anyway... So let's just cast our minds back and have a look at the whole build-up. Because when the day of Pentecost had fully come, suddenly the sound of a mighty rushing wind filled. But there had been hundreds of years, centuries of preparation. Incredible. But this was the day. You know, we see the Holy Spirit active in creation. When God said, let us create, you know. And God said, let there be light. And the thing that you saw prior to that was the Holy Spirit hovering over formless, void, dark creation. And the Spirit is hovering. And that hovering is very much, the Latin Vulgate talks about it and uses the word incubus. And he's talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit was hovering over in creation almost like a kestrel, almost like a mother hen. And he was hovering over to brood over creation, just waiting for the word to be spoken. So that which was formless received form. That which was empty was filled. That was dark was brought into light. And it's really amazing that when Mary stood and angel Gabriel came to in Luke chapter 1 and said, you're going to become pregnant and you're going to give birth, and his name is Jesus the Savior. How will this be? The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. There was going to be an overshadowing over Mary, and her formless, empty, dark womb would be filled with the light of the world, and Christ would be formed in her. And so there was an incubus of the Holy Spirit. Now, the incubation of the first creation was the physical creation. But when he came again to incubate the church, it was the second creation, the new birth creation. Was that okay? Okay, that was good. That was good. That was good. And so the Holy Spirit was right there showing us what was to come because we are new creatures in Christ. We're a new creation. It's very interesting that as we go through the Old Testament and we just see foreshadowing and foreshadowing and foreshadowing, all the way through, Psalm tells us that it was the Spirit that gave life to all of creation. He was the breath even in the animals. When God spoke, He was the active power, the active force in all of creation. Job tells us that when Jesus came to create us, we were the crowning glory, the masterpiece of creation. Because not only did the Spirit give life to all creatures, but He's the very breath inside of us. So when God breathed, into that formless shape of dust, man stood up a living soul. Because it tells us the first Adam was a living soul, but the second Adam, Christ, was a life-giving spirit. And so when God breathed life, it was his pneuma, breath, spirit that he breathed into mankind. So even before we get born again, we were born by the power of the Holy Spirit. But when we got born again, it was also by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so his spirit came to inhabit and to indwell our spirit, which was dead in transgressions and sin, is now made alive in Christ. So not only um, did he, was he the breath in every human being, but he becomes the breath of life um, to every born again. There's a, a technical word, and I don't know why the theologians use all these technical terms. So let me just pass it on to you as I received it. I was just refreshing I did a, a study some years ago when Pastor Helen was here on the person and work of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And I was just reviewing it and rereading it from Friday and, and yesterday, something like 57 pages. And I got down to the end and I realized I hadn't finished. There's a lot more 
<laughs> and it's 57 pages. And I was going, oh, wow. I was looking, I was going like, wow, it's pretty awesome. Wow, this is amazing. I blessed myself reading what I wrote. But I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. But, but in John chapter 21, when the disciples, scared and frightened, were in the room, and Jesus appeared to them and spoke to them, and he said, as the Father sent me, so I send you in the very same way. The Bible says he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the theologians call that the insufflation, the breath, the breath of God, insufflation, insufflation, because he breathed into them. It's a good technical word, isn't it? Everybody say insufflation. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And right there, people were born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. So right there, the second Adam, you know, was created right there. Right there, when Jesus breathed on them. Same as in the garden when God breathed into the lifeless uh, dust Adam. Now, Jesus, okay, never mind. I thought that was good. Because it tells us in Malachi 2.15, that it talks about that God kept a residue of the Spirit. After he created Adam, he kept a residue of the Spirit. So he could have godly offspring. He didn't just want offspring, he wanted godly offspring. So when he breathed on Adam, he retained a measure of the Spirit. And that's what Jesus then breathed onto the disciples in the upper room. And then he had godly offspring. That was the beginning of the generation of Jesus Christ. There it is there. What? That's amazing. And he didn't make one man. He made two. Woo! Isn't that good? Man, that's really awesome. And so right there in creation, we see the Spirit of God striving with people. Genesis chapter 6 where he said, my spirit will not strive with man forever. His days will be 120 years. And so we see the striving Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Very much like still today, the Holy Spirit still strives with people, convincing them, leading them, convicting them, influencing them to turn to Jesus. But we also see the Spirit of God coming and anointing different leaders. We see how Joshua was anointed. We see how Gideon was anointed. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit or God clothed um, Joshua, or he clothed himself with Joshua. Depends how you read it. Gideon, Samson, the judges, there were seven of them, talking about renewals and revivals in Israel. And so this anointing made these people stand out, gave them leadership ability, gave them influence, gave them power and authority to do what God called them to do. In fact, it was so visible and so evident that when the Holy Spirit anointed Joseph, that Pharaoh even said, who else should we choose? Because this man in him has the spirit of the gods. It was said about Daniel as well. And so when the spirit is on you, when the spirit is in you, it's recognizable even by the world. Pastor Aldrich asked me um, if I could attend the men's conference yesterday. And uh, I went and he had a, a businessman speaking. And uh, this guy was just sharing about business and Godliness and the influence that God releases in your life as a businessman, business person. And uh, he was talking about the fact that he needed to buy products from another company. And this company was headed up by a woman. And he said, very tough, very tough businesswoman, very successful. And uh, basically everybody buys from her. She supplies everybody. But she would not supply him. And then when he phoned her and he said, please, would you supply? And she said, okay, but everything is COD. And he said... No, no account for me. So he decided to go and see her. And he said he knew her from his school days, even from his BC days. And he said, and even then she was rough and tough. And uh, he said that um, she could cause sailors to blush. Uh, there was not a soldier that could uh, keep up with her if she turned to drinking, you know. So he decided that he would go and see her. And when he walked in and he sat down and he just started sharing, he said, Look, uh, why won't you give me an account? She said, because I'm scared of you. Because you are so different. You're so different. I don't know how to quantify you. She said, you're not the man I knew all those years ago. And he started to share, well, I've accepted Jesus. And he got the opportunity to share his testimony with her. And then he said, would you mind if I pray with you? And he prayed with her. And not long after that, she phoned him and gave him an account so that he could buy there and then do his business. And not long after that, she phoned him and she said, I just wanted to tell you, I'm also born again now. The Holy Spirit makes you stand out. 
He lifts you up. He makes you distinctive. And so we see it in that even the world can recognize when you're full of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so all of these just point to this great day of Pentecost that we're talking about. You know that I mentioned it already, that uh, this King Saul, head and shoulders above all the others. But Samuel says, when the Spirit comes on you, you'll be changed into a different man. How many of you can say, I'm me, but I'm different? Ever since the Holy Spirit came on. I'm me, but I'm different. You know, I'm John, but I'm a different John. I mean, it's hard to think that there was a day when I was so painfully shy that I could not speak in front of people. I couldn't speak in front of new people. You can see I'm really healed well. Because now I love to speak. I even get paid to speak. But I'll speak for nothing. You know? And there was a day when I was so shy. I was so introverted. I was probably the shyest person that you ever met in your life. I don't know anybody who was as shy as me. I had no self-esteem, no self-confidence, nothing. And if people came around to visit, if there was more than two people in the room, in the lounge, say, for example, I could not speak. I physically could not speak. I lacked confidence. It was the Holy Spirit that changed me. Amen? You'd be changed into another person. So you start to take on the traits of Jesus, the anointed one. And so... We see uh, that in, in 1 Samuel 10. But we see David, 1 Samuel 16. And the, the Bible inspired a, a specific uh, sentence or two about him. When the Spirit came upon him, when Samuel anointed him in front of his father, his family, you know, and his brothers, it says, and the Spirit came upon him from that day onwards. The prophetic thing about this is, you know, looking to Jesus, obviously is the son of David, who would have the Spirit without measure, permanently but not only that us as well that the spirit was to come and to remain on us and not to leave because when you read the old testament the spirit would come on different leaders he would come and he would leave he'd endure for certain purposes and then he would leave there was no permanent endurement there was no permanent indwelling and it was only particular leaders it wasn't for everybody and so David prophetically changed all of that so the Spirit was to come and to remain. And that was one of the things that John said in John chapter 3. He said, the one that sent me said, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, he's the one. He won't be like those Old Testament guys where the Spirit came and went. No, no, no. The one who the Spirit descends and remains. Woo! And he's the one that will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In other words, when he baptizes you, he baptizes you with the same. In other words, the Spirit will come and not leave. So when Jesus was talking about it in John chapter 14, he talked about, I'm going to contradict myself just now, but it will be an apparent contradiction. Is that okay? John chapter 14, Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, he'll be with you and he will be in you. Man. You know, with us would be good enough. With us would be good enough. But with you and in you, never to leave is even better. Isn't that right? So the Spirit doesn't leave, you know. But we'll deal with this contradiction just now, okay, in a short while. It's changed him. And the Spirit came upon him from that time onwards. There were different categories of people that received the Spirit in the Old Testament. The first one who were anointed, should I say, indicative of the Spirit. And so oil would be taken in a horn or a flask or whatever container and would be poured upon these category of people, indicating the Spirit coming upon them, and He really did come upon them. The first was the leper. Leprosy was a Bible picture, really, of sin because it would eat away your body and bits would fall off. You would be ostracized from the community and there's no other disease, not in the Old Testament or in the Bible, that was more reflective of and more representative of sin, the way it would just eat away at you. But when the leper was healed or wanted healing, he was to go to the priest. And the priest would take some of the blood of the sacrifice and put it on the right lobe of the right ear, right thumb, right hand, right toe, right foot. And then immediately afterwards, he'd take the log of oil or the horn of oil and he'd anoint him in exactly the same place, indicating that the world cannot receive the Spirit. Only those whom the blood has cleansed can receive the Spirit. 
In other words, that he has cleansed your psyche. He's cleansed your mind. He's changed, he's changed your actions, the works of your hand. He's changed your walk. When you become a new person, the blood, the oil can anoint where the blood has cleansed. And Jesus said it in John 14. The world cannot receive the Spirit because they're not from Him. They don't recognize the Spirit. The Spirit is only for believers. The Holy Spirit will work on unbelievers externally to strive with them, to convict them, but He's not on the inside of them. But us, we have Him in. It's not just on top, it's inside. So we have the Spirit of God inside of us. And the good news is you don't just have His thumb or his ear, or a piece of him. You have all of him. Woo! And we can get that revelation. It will be powerful. And so the one group of people that would be anointed was the leper. We've all received the leper's anointing. The sickness of leprosy, sin, we were healed of. Is that okay? We are no longer spiritual lepers. We've been made whole by the blood. And by the Spirit. Okay. So I said it a, a little while ago. The purpose of Jesus coming was the blood. The purpose of the blood was for the Spirit. So the Spirit could come where the blood had cleansed. Any believer who's not yet received the baptism in the Holy Spirit is stopping a little bit short of all that Jesus intends for them. Because his intention is the Spirit. Now, Pastor John, but I thought when you're born again, you received the Spirit. Yes, you do. It's a different relationship with the Holy Spirit where you've been made alive. But the baptism in the Holy Spirit is another dimension, another relationship with the Holy Spirit where he fills you, gives you your prayer language, and empowers you. Okay, so the second category of people was prophets were anointed. Prophets were anointed. They had to be called of God and had to be anointed. And uh, when they were anointed, then they could prophesy. Now, we have something, if we go back into the book of Numbers, we'll see that when Moses was complaining that the workload was too much, God said to him, call the 70 elders. 70 is amazing because it's made up of two numbers, 7 and 10. 70 is a multiple of that. 7 is perfection and 10 is completion. So in other words, he said, let's complete what's perfect. Let's finish this thing. So he called the 70 elders, and God said to him, I will take of the spirit that is on you, and I will put it on the 70. And there were two that didn't come to that meeting, but even then the spirit splashed over and reached them in the camp. And the result was they were all prophesying. Moses, a picture of Jesus, 70, a picture of us, all received the spirit, and they began to prophesy. And Moses said something tremendously prophetic when Joshua came and said, those two men, do you want me to go and stop them? And he said, I wish that all God's people were prophets. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul stands up and he says, you can now all prophesy. So in Joel chapter 2, he said, your sons and your daughters, and they will all prophesy. They will see visions. They will dream dreams. They will all prophesy. Now the awesome thing is I see an ascending you know, sort of value in it. Because not only will you dream dreams, the dream will solidify and become a vision. And a vision, once a vision is birthed, you will start to speak it. That's prophesying. You will start to foretell and declare. You know, when you'll speak with the spirit of prophecy, you will say things that become creative. And then God says, and then when my sons and daughters dream dreams, see visions and prophesy, then I will show wonders in the heaven. And then it comes after you speak and you prophesy. See, what was God doing? He was creating a group of people who understood how to work like he did when he said, let there be light. And there was light. Second group of people that were anointed was the priests. And uh, you can read of the ordination and, and stuff like this. And when we went through that period, you know, Aaron and his sons, they were anointed. Oil was poured over them. In fact, everything they had to do was with sacrifices and with the oil. And so the priests were anointed. It's really interesting that God says about Israel, I had destined you as a kingdom of priests. And we know Peter says the same thing about us. John says it in the book of Revelations, by his blood, kings and priests. Is that okay? And so God wants a kingdom, a priesthood kingdom. 
so that people would be like him. But the, the priesthood had everything to do with the ministry of the sacrifices and the ministry of the oil, ministry of the anointing. Because they were to speak on God's behalf to people. Paul says it. I was operating in my high priestly ministry, bringing the gospel to people. He says it. In, I think it's in Romans. We priests unto God. So not only do we represent people to God, but once we've been there, we represent God to people. And you need to be anointed to have access, and you need to be anointed to come out and to bring that out. And that's why, you know, after they had done the sacrifices, God told them always, once you finish the sacrifices, you come out and you bless the people. And he gave them a specific blessing to speak. And God said, and when you bless them, I will put my name on them. Which means I'll put my character in them. I'll put my nature in them. When you speak to them, you will put me in them. Come on, church. This is good stuff. And then um, the next group of people, I said, were prophets. And then there was priests. And then, of course, there were kings. Kings ruled. Kings reigned. Kings had authority. Kings could decree. Kings were the influencers. And so we're a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood. We're a nation of priests. Read Psalm 82 when God, Elohim, gets together and has a meeting with the Elohim of God. And he says, I've got an issue with you because there's still injustice on earth. You're not ruling and reigning. Read Psalm 82. It's powerful. And so he made us kings and priests because we're to rule and to reign on this earth. Listen, the anointing, the Spirit gives you authority. You know how to operate. He gives you authority. The authority comes just because of the Spirit. The Spirit Himself gives you authority. The Spirit in you sets you above. There's no other Spirit that can compare with the Holy Spirit. That's why when the Spirit in us is in manifestation, demons recognize it, demons flee, demons run. That's why Jesus could walk into a place and the demons would be screaming, Sound God! And we just look at them and speak to them and don't send us there. <laughs> send us to the pigs. Oink, oink. You know, so it immediately gave authority. Listen, you have authority purely and simply before you've done anything else because you have the Spirit of God inside you. You have a power. Man, once we start to understand it and start to speak and act like it, then you become exceptionally dangerous. I love what Andrea Demiglia was telling us about that wizard in Switzerland or whatever and saying, you believers have got no clue the kind of power and authority you've got. And he would say, it would take us months of fasting and prayer to attach demons to a particular tree and obviously to establish a demonic presence in a place. And he said, even the least aware Christian, if they just walk past there, the demon falls out of the tree. That's what the wizard said, because he could see it. Man, he really fell out of his tree. You know, that, it changed my view of everything. When I go past trees now, I go like, another one bites the dust. Woo! Another one bites the dust. Yeah. <laughs> if any wizard attaches demons to trees around you, I'd shame. How they wasted a few months. Now, if we walk in the consciousness of that anointing, if we walk in the consciousness of that authority, is that okay? And so he makes us prophets, priests, and kings. And this all happened on the day of Pentecost. Here these men are, they stand there, these women, and suddenly the Spirit comes inside and everything changes. When Peter stood up, he was operating in a spirit of wisdom. A word of wisdom to say, this is that. He connected an experience to a scripture. Illumined by the Holy Spirit. Wow. If we have all of that creative ability inside of us. That's why after the Reformation, or prior to the Renaissance, the Reformation, it was all of that creation, all of that artistic release in the world was because the Spirit of God came into the world in a fresh way. Greatest inventions, greatest art, greatest medical breakthrough, the Jews, because of God's promise to them. I'm not saying they're more special than us, but it's because of the influence of the Spirit. 
But any nation that rises up in this godliness, they're on the front end of innovation. Why? Because the Spirit illumines. Now, if He does that for ungodly people, how much more godly people? It's time for creativity and invention and entrepreneurship and business to be birthed in the church of Jesus Christ. Because we've got the Holy Spirit inside of us. Man, there's so many pictures. And yes, Saul, he's king, and uh, little boy David comes up, but he's just been freshly anointed and prophesied over. And so like, he's got this vision burning in his heart, but he's still a shepherd, still being faithful. And then there's Goliath, you know, challenging the armies of Israel. And little shepherd boy David takes the supplies to the front lines. And all his brothers are in the military with their shining armor. And there's Saul, head and shoulders above the rest. There is the unanointed Goliath. Uncircumcised, unanointed. But listen, here is the ex-anointed king. And in walks the anointed. And the anointed makes the difference. Come on, God doesn't want us unanointed. He doesn't want us to be ex-anointed. He wants us to be anointed. Is that okay? Come on. Who's anointed? Me. I'm anointed. He wants us anointed. And right there, you know, he's showing us a picture of what was to come in the New Testament. Because the old went out, the ex-anointed. The new stepped in. Woo-woo. The newly anointed kings. Come on. And God wants to do that. The anointing came upon Bezalel and Eliab when God was giving instructions to Moses with the building of the tabernacle. And God gave the pattern to Moses, but he endued these two men amongst others. And the incredible thing is both of their names more or less mean in the shadow of God. Very much typifying Jesus who was in the shadow of God, but then he stood out as God. You know, ah, never mind, it's too much. It's too much. And so Jesus was anointed as the craftsman to build the new temple. And then he raised up apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And then the whole body of Christ to do the works of service, to build up this temple in which God lives by his spirit. Is that good? So all of your abilities, all of your ministries, all of your anointings are because he's anointed you, Bezalel and Eliab. And so he anointed Bezalel and Eliab for all the furnishings. Everything meticulous in detail. Everything intricate. Everything exact. Everything precise. You have the general court. You have the holy place and then the holy of holies. Representing body, soul, and spirit. And in the spirit part is the Ark of the Covenant. The holy of holies. That ark was destroyed, Jeremiah 3. They'll never find it. Because God said destroy it. They destroyed it. It's not in Ethiopia. It's destroyed. Just like the bronze serpent on the pole was destroyed because people would worship. Imagine if they found the ark, what idolatry there would be in the world. I mean, charismatic Christians would be worshiping it, waiting for the presence to come back between the cherubim. It's gone. That presence is now under the shadow of the... The mercy seat that was cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Come on. It's here. You know, we're not raiders of the lost ark. We're bearers of the found ark. Yeah. Yeah. I bear it. The ark is there. I've got the hidden manna. I've got the fruitfulness of the ministry. And I've got tablets of the law, but it's yeah. Amen. <laughs> This is a ride. You're getting something. Woo! So there was precedent. So when the Bible goes, and when the day of Pentecost fully comes suddenly, no, no, there's been centuries of prophesying and preparation. And, you know, the Old Testament is a book of the Holy Spirit. He inspired its writing. He inspired the prophets who prophesied. He inspired the record keepers who kept a record of the histories. He inspired the psalmists who wrote the psalms. David even says that the Spirit inspired me. And so the whole of the Old Testament inspiring scripture right in the old testament we see and then of course into the new we see symbols of wind mount sinai holy spirit comes like a wind jesus spoke about it in john chapter 3 
when he said the wind blows where it will. There's an influence of the Spirit. You may be not be able to see him. You can see his manifestations. But there's a, a force and a power in the wind. It's really interesting that a certain time of the year, the wind blows in Cape Town. And the Cape, it's not insignificant that they call it the Cape Doctor. And so the wind of the Spirit very much he moves, he drives, he influences invisibly. He bears, not pressure, but he, he bears an influence. He brings an influence to bear on us, just like wind. Is that okay? And so Jesus directly refers that it happened on the day of Pentecost. And of course, inspiring the ministry of angels. I often experience that. Sometimes when I'm preaching, I can feel the wind go past me. Then I know that the Spirit is taking my words. His breath, breath, the Spirit is the breath, the breath of God. The breath of God brings inspiration. Every scripture is God breathed. Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that is breathed out of the mouth of God. And when we have the breath of God and speak the words of God, we speak God breathed things. That's why Jesus said the words that I speak, they are spirit and life. You can speak the same words without the Spirit, and there's no life. But when you speak those words with the breath of God, the Spirit of God, then those words are creative and give life. We need the Holy Spirit. Come on, church. We need Him to be in manifestation in our lives. I'm, I'm doing my utmost. I would not be here today if it was not the Holy Spirit. In more ways than one. He has saved me over and over again because I heard His voice. Amen. The Holy Spirit, I mean, he, we just need Him. Come on, we can't do this Christian thing without the Holy Spirit. You can't, you can't. You have to have the Holy Spirit. So, He's fire. Woo! He's the zeal. He's the warmth. He's the comfort. He's the purification of fire. He's water and rain and rivers and pools and dew. Like the Jew descending Mount Hermon. I mean, the Holy Spirit comes. The whole difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is summed up really in one symbol more than any others, and that is rain. I will give you rain in season. And so rain brought, because of people who were essentially farmers, the rain was essential. And God said to them, if you break the law, no rain. The heavens will be iron and the earth will be bronze or the other way around. In other words, there'll be no crops, there'll be no yield. Listen, listen, church. There will be no life for you. There'll be no prosperity. There'll be no blessing without the rain. Listen, church. If we don't have the rain of the Holy Spirit, we are finished. There's no life. There's no prosperity for us. We need the rain. And so, you know, in Jeremiah 23, in Psalm 23, David prophesies when he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And in Jeremiah 23, through the prophet Jeremiah, God says, I've got an issue with the pastors, the shepherds of Israel, because they eat the sheep, they fleece them, you know, they don't look after the sheep. And he says the same thing in Ezekiel 34, then from verse 23 to 26, and he says, I'm going to send a shepherd like my servant David, who was a shepherd, but he became a king. And when Jesus came, he was king and he became a shepherd. But Ezekiel says this in Ezekiel 34 from 23, and then you can read verse 26. In the days of that shepherd, Zion, and all around Zion, like the rest of the world, will be blessed. Because there will be showers, showers of blessing on God's holy mountain. When? When the shepherd comes. Okay? So in John chapter 10, Jesus stands up and says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the shepherd of the sheep. And they're getting offended because they know Ezekiel's prophecy. They know Jeremiah's prophecy, amongst others. They know what David said in Psalm 23. So when he said, hey, I'm the shepherd, I'm here for Israel, what he was saying was, it's about to rain. Life is coming back to Israel. Come on, when the Spirit was poured out, we were established as the Mount Zion. So on the day of Pentecost, Zion shifted. It was not a physical mountain. It was a spiritual mountain, a spiritual force to be recognized. Suddenly Zion became the mountain of God. And he says, I'm going to send showers of blessing, showers of blessing. Read the rest of the chapter. Fruitfulness, blessing. I mean, it's so awesome. 
Yeah. Because he talks about the rain. He talks about the prosperity. He talks about the blessing. Rain causes rivers. Rivers bring life. Rain brings life. Rain causes the earth to bud and to blossom and to flourish. We need the rain. Come on, church. We need the rain of the Holy Spirit. We need times of refreshing. We need to remember days like today. Rain causes rivers. So, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. So the Bible opens with a garden and a river. In the middle is a garden and a river, Ezekiel. At the end in Revelations 22, there's a garden and then there's a river. It's really interesting. But the Bible shows us, Psalm 1, Jeremiah 17, many other places, that we are trees, oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. But those trees need to be planted by rivers of living water. Then we will be fruitful in all seasons of the year. Our fruit will be eaten by others and the leaves of those trees will be healing for the nations. So what's God trying to say? Stay rooted in the Spirit. Stay close to the river. In all you're getting, get the river. And so he's a dove. I just love it. After the flood and the world was destroyed, Noah, after 40 days, because God said it would rain for 40 days, 40 nights, opens a window and sends a raven out. You know, predatory bird, that scavenger. So why he sent a raven out? Who knows? But the symbolism there, and it just flew up and down, up and down, up and down. It just flew back and forth. It's like a stupid raven. Let me take a dove. Let me take a dove. Symbol of the Holy Spirit. Let me send the dove out. After seven days. Seven. The dove comes back. Say, so keeps the dove seven days. Sends the dove out. The dove comes back. And he's holding an olive branch. Oh, come on. Olive tree, olive oil, and the dove, the Holy Spirit, comes back. It says he didn't stay because there was no place for his feet to land. There was no secure landing place, but he picks an olive branch, maybe just sticking up or whatever. And so there's a new growth in a new world. First heaven and earth passed away. Now is the time for a new world, new something And then keeps the dove for seven days, releases him again. And this time, the dove doesn't come back. He remains. So right there. Noah was prophesying. The Spirit is coming onto a new creation. So there's the dove. There's the oil. We've spoken about the seal. There's the cloud. Israel would only move when the cloud moved. They would stay when the cloud stayed. There was wine. The new wine is better than the old wine. Right through the Old Testament. Read Joel. These men are not drunk as you suppose. But they've all been filled with the Holy Ghost. All, all of the... I mean, you can go into it. Wine makes you happy. Wine makes you talkative. Wine makes you very giving and generous. Yeah, my wine makes you, you know, some people get aggressive. I don't know. It just depends. I've heard. I don't know. But, but he's also our clothing. Okay. Not only that, but he's the earnest of God, the deposit. He's the, he's the seal. He's the whatever. So right there in the tabernacle, there's the candlestick that's never allowed to go out. And the command is given to the children of Israel. Every day, bring pressed, clear, Fresh oil for the candlestick. It's never allowed to go out. Seven branches prophesying. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1. I will send my servant the branch and he will have the sevenfold spirit of God. Which means the completeness, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so it talks about that's the same spirit that we receive in maturity. We will move from gifts 
to fullness of the Holy Spirit as we mature in Him. No longer will you have a gift of prophecy. You will have prophecy. No longer will you have the gift of wisdom or a word of knowledge, but you will have wisdom and knowledge. And so right there in the Bible, it tells us. And so in closing, and I haven't even come to the part that I wanted, but this is good. And so right in Genesis, is it chapter 6? When they decide to build um, a city, they get together and they say, let us build us a city. In other words, let's build ourselves a city. So it spoke of human effort, human achievement. It spoke of humanism. Then we will be like God and we will reach God by our own efforts. God looks down and he throws them into confusion and divides their languages. And so everyone goes their own way and nations begin and things like this. And a city is significant because Paul tells us in Hebrews that when Abraham and the other patriarchs came and they left the land, they left their city, they left their countries. The Bible says they were looking for a city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. So they were looking for a city. But they never found a city because the city was not yet built. Because Paul tells us only together with us will they be perfected. And so in other words, what it's saying is that we are now the city of God. When did the city, when was the city established? The city was established on the day of Pentecost. Not only was it established as the chief mountain, the greatest spiritual force on earth, but the city was created on top. When the Spirit descended, when the Holy Spirit came, the city of God was formed. So Revelations 18, Revelation 21, 22, when it talks about Babylon, and when it talks about the new Jerusalem, he's showing us two cities, a city without the Spirit, a city without Christ. But the new Jerusalem he's showing us is beautiful, and it's got foundations. And its architect and builder is God, and the city of God, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, is a spirit. It's a city of people who are full with the Holy Spirit. Two different cities. Amen. All happen on the day of Pentecost. Now for the uninitiated, they just heard people speaking in tongues, speaking in their own languages. But there was so much behind it. Before we even get to the New Testament and the ministry of Jesus, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, so much transpired, so much happened, there was such a shift. Not only were we the city, but we became the temple in which God lives by His Spirit, individually and corporately. Then I finish. One of the signs to the religious people that all of this was to take place, I believe, is in Isaiah 28. I'm just going by memory now. I believe it's in Isaiah 28 when God says, this people, these people here, for whom it's line upon line, precept upon precept, a little of this and a little of that. He was talking to the law people, the religious people. Line upon line, precept. I'm going to speak to them. I'm going to speak to them. In the day that I give my glory to another group of people, I'm going to speak to them. I'm going to speak to them through the mouths of strangers with stammering lips, stuttering tongues. They're going to hear and they're going to know. This is the new people. This is the new Israel. This is where the glory is. And so on the day of Pentecost, it was Jews living in the different countries that came, and they heard them all praising God in their own languages. What was God saying? This is the stammering lips to you line upon line people, to you precept upon precept people. It's no longer that law. It's the new law written on the tables of hearts. It's no longer the blinding of the Lord. No, no. It's turning and seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ and being illumined. Where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty. And you'll be transformed from that degree of glory in ever-increasing glory to that glory because of the Spirit. And the evidence will be, Now there's a whole lot of benefits to speaking in tongues, which we'll touch on in the next couple of weeks. Is that okay? And so something powerful happened. Now I want you to, to know and understand something that we can take out of this. Just one thing in closing is this, is that when God starts to move in your life and starts to do things, He does it on the base of all the preparation that He's done for the entire course of your life. 
God is so meticulous in detail. God is so infinite in His wisdom. God is so powerful in His ability that He can be preparing you and preparing you and preparing you whole life. You just have no idea what He's preparing you for by just this message today. When John the Baptist came baptizing, the Pharisees rejected his baptism. And when Jesus came, they could not receive his words because they rejected the move just before. They rejected something that was preparation just before. Come on, church, listen to me. When God speaks to you, put something on your heart, do it because it's preparing you for the next thing. So if you don't want to be delayed, obey. Move with God. Obey the Holy Spirit. Follow the Holy Spirit. Because then suddenly he will come and you'll go like, where did that come from? But the preparation has been in place. Come on, if you offend or are offended, you know, go and sort it out. Forgive, whatever it is. If God lays something on your heart, do it. If God speaks to you, do it. If you put in the preparation, God can work on it by his ability and his power and his wisdom. And he can just bring you out in that place. And then suddenly, suddenly I'm promoted. Suddenly I've got a new job. Suddenly, I've got a business idea. I just don't know where that came from. No, no, the Holy Spirit's been working with you. Just suddenly, I, I just met this person out of the blue, and it's opened this whole door, and this happened, and this happened. No, there was no, it was suddenly, but listen, there was a preparation. God has been working. Woo-hoo. Following your little steps of obedience, just bringing you to that place. Wow. Wow. Come on. We need the Holy Spirit. Man, we need, we need. We need, you need, you need, we need, we need more of the Holy Spirit. So it says about Saul. When David was anointed, it says about Saul, he wist not that the Spirit had left him. You know, it's such a sad indictment, a prophetic thing of so many Christians. The Spirit leaves them and they're not even aware of it. Because they never were operating in the power and the ability of the Spirit. I don't even know he's gone. Maybe I'll pick up with it next week or the week after, after Andre. If we look right through the New Testament, everything about the Holy Spirit is he's a person. And person implies personality. But person also implies relationship. Jesus is our advocate in heaven. 1 John 2. But he said, I will send you an advocate a comforter, a paracletos to be with you. He will take my place physically with you disciples and with us. He will take my place. He will be a comfort to you, a strength to you, an advocate to you, a helper to you. Build, my words, build a relationship with him like you had with me. He has a voice. He has moods, and they're all positive. He's not moody, but he has moods. You can sometimes sense the mood of the Spirit. I walked into a meeting once with Prophet Quiris, and I'd never felt it before, never felt it before. I walked into, he was ministering at Beulah Park. It was one of his last meetings. And when I walked into the place, the first thing that happened, was as soon as I walked in, Annalise was standing there, she, walked, she was looking around, and then she looked and she pointed and said, come here. She said, as soon as you walked in, I felt your spirit. She said, I knew the moment you walked in. Come on, these dimensions of the Holy Spirit we still need. And I, I felt it. I felt sometimes I'm somewhere and I feel a person's spirit and then I see them. Come on, we need to be more sensitive to the spirit. <laughs> the second thing, and, and it was the overshadowing thing, when I walked in, I felt jealousy. As an atmosphere. I walked in and I just said, God, what is this? But it wasn't a negative jealousy. It was a positive jealousy. And I just said, Jesus, what is this? It continued me right through the worship. And, and I said, Lord, what is this? He said, I'm so jealous for my bride. I just started weeping. Never felt that before. The Holy Spirit has got feelings. We need to be sensitive to him. Can't shout at somebody when the mood of the spirit is gentleness. You never shout at people, but you understand what I'm saying. The mood of the spirit is 
prophecy. The mood of the Spirit is encouragement. The mood of the Spirit. So Paul says, I feel for you with the affections of Christ. Come on, church. We need to get back to a relationship with the Holy Spirit. God forbid that any of us here are not aware that the Spirit has left us. Now, this is the contradiction. I said to you, the Spirit never leaves us. He doesn't. But we lose that sense of the consciousness of His presence. We lose the manifestation of His presence through our own insensitivity, through our sin, through our neglect of the relationship. We lose that sense. There's nothing more comforting than the presence of the Holy Spirit. If I walk into a place to go and preach, the thing that I'm looking for is the presence for the anointing. As soon as I have it, I'm fine. I'll stand and preach, and it'll be a place full of preachers like at the conference. There was even a little bit of contrariness and conflict, you know. And, and I didn't sleep that night. I was in, in travail and intercession the whole night. But when I stood up and the power and the authority of that anointing came on me, I was good. I could take it all on. I could sort it all out. I could address and bring the power and the presence of God into the place. There's, there's a comfort of the Holy Spirit. Come on, when you're doing business, when you're working, doesn't matter what you're doing, there's a comfort in knowing the Spirit of God is with you and in you. Let's never lose the consciousness of that presence. Amen.